Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, going to be having a chat about Boudicca, or Bodicea, or Budug. Look, she's got a lot of names, but whatever you call her, she was a queen of a British tribe. Way back in the first century, she raised an army to fight off the ruling Romans in the year 60 CE. And this all happened after her husband, King Prasitagus, uh, he died, and Boudicca and her family were sub- subjected to some utterly bloody disgraceful conduct by the Roman, the ro- ruling class of Romans there. And I'll tell you what, they should have known better because our mate Boudicca gave them an absolute hiding for what they did. She raised buildings, burned cities and, and slaughtered tens of thousands of Romans. Uh, today, she's a bit of a folk hero for the British, especially the Welsh, uh, despite her living on the other side of the British Isles. But we'll get to all that boring stuff after we uh, cover all the blood and the guts and, and, and the fun stuff like that. Almost everything we know about Boudicca comes from two Roman historians, uh, Tacitus and Cassius Dio. So there's a fair bit of Roman bias to pick apart in, in her history, um, as well as a fair bit of the old embellishment that ancient, ancient historians love so bloody much. But anyway, let's get to it here and we'll get underway with the story of Boudicca. We're going back here to, uh, to 43 CE, uh, which is when the Romans law- launched their successful invasion of Britain. Of course, old mate Julius Caesar, he had uh, sort of quote-unquote visited Britain. I don't think they quite call it an invasion because it wasn't successful. About 100 years previously, around 55 BCE. But uh, Jules never really made great progress and uh, eventually he was sent packing in 54 BCE by, uh, by Cassivellaunus and, and his chariots there. Um, actually, before we get stuck in too much further uh let, let's sort of let's decide what we mean by the word britain here because uh today obviously when people say britain uh they're usually talking about the country uh or the nation but technically that's slightly inaccurate because britain or great britain refers to the, to the actual physical island whereas the country is actually called the united kingdom uh, or the uk now obviously there's very little difference these days although the uk does also include northern ireland which isn't part of great britain obviously it's part of the island of ireland which ireland is also a part of the Republic of Ireland. And so, but, but Ireland is also part of the British Isles, but not Great Britain, either the country or the physical island. And, and, and it, it gets worse than this because it gets even more complicated when you realise that the, the nation of the United Kingdom is actually then made up of, of four smaller countries, England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. And um, I'll tell you this, as someone who lives in Scotland, I can tell you that, especially you Americans, Scottish people do not like it when you say England... Uh, and mean the UK, uh, and it makes you sound like a real idiot. So, so try to be a little bit more careful with that. Um, it's basically the equivalent of, of, you know, if you're from Wyoming and sort of having a foreigner assume that you're from New York or California. It's, it's yeah, it's it, it, England is not, is not the UK. Um, oh, on top of that as well, Scottish people generally think it's very, very funny. They think it's completely laughable when Americans refer to themselves as Scottish or even worse, Scotch. Uh, because they're, you know, great, 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 whatever, left Scotland for the U- US. It goes for Irish people too. They might be being polite to you, to your face, like when you tell them that, oh, yeah, I'm Scottish because whatever, da, 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 uh, but they are secretly laughing at you. So I, I suggest you do not do it to them because, yeah, they- they're just going to think you're a bit, of a bit of a goose. Anyway, anyway, as I say, today the difference between Great Britain and the UK doesn't matter too much as Britain and the UK are, are used basically interchangeably. But back in Boudicca's time when we say Britain, we definitely mean the island and not the country because the country didn't exist. Back then, Britain was filled, the, the island, uh, was filled with uh, various tribal kingdoms, usually referred to as, as Celtic Britons, as in B-R-I-T-O-N. 
NS. Broadly speaking, these were the Britons in modern-day England and Wales, and then there were the Picts and the Gales up in, in, in modern-day Scotland. And eventually these Celtic Britons were driven out towards the west of Britain by Anglo-Saxon invasions in the 5th and 6th centuries, which is why Wales is a Celtic country while, while England isn't, because the Anglo-Saxons uh, drove all of the, the Celts out of what is today England and into areas like Wales. They also fled to Brittany and, and northern Spain, other, other areas as well. Um, and, and this is why England... Uh, which is established by the invading Angles, uh, it, it, it has its base as a, as, a, as a Germanic people rather than uh, rather than a Celtic people, and that's why English, English is a is a Germanic language. Anyway, 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 we are way off course here. Whoops. The point is, in 43 CE, the Romans invade Britain properly this time, and they conquer a, a, quite a few of the the, the Celtic Britonic uh, tribal kingdoms, and one of these kingdoms is the Iceni. Uh, ruled by a bloke named King uh, Prasagatus, who I said before is is married to our, our mate Boudicca. Now, uh, Iceni was situated in modern-day Norfolk, that sort of bumpy bit that sticks out about halfway up the eastern coast of England. And uh, historians even today haven't yet seen, been able to determine if even back then they had all, you know, they all had six fingers and drove everyone tractors, but the research continues. Um, anyway, Prasagatus is a, uh, he's a smart bloke. He's a very smart bloke and he realises pretty quickly that he's got no bloody chance whatsoever against these Romans. Uh, so when they come knocking on his door, he is like, oh, mate, absolutely. Give me a pizza and a moped. I'm all about the Roman life. Please, you know, welcome along. So Iceni becomes a, a client kingdom of Rome and it doesn't scrap with the, the invading Roman army. And as a result, Prasitagus uh, retains a fair bit of autonomy uh, as long as he pays tribute and uh, and whatever else. And I, I've definitely now settled on the on the pronunciation as Prasitagus. I have no idea how it's actually supposed to be pronounced, but in any case, we're just going to roll with it here. The Iceni are still pretty independent, and they have a few uprisings here and there when you know the Romans try to disarm them uh, in and around the year forty-seven. But ultimately, they're still under Roman rule despite having a little bit of autonomy themselves. Um, Prasitagus, Boudicca, and the rest of the Iceni nobles are actually probably living. They're probably living a pretty you know they're living the high life at this stage. They they would have sort of been de facto Roman citizens and probably lived in the lap of luxury like nobles did everywhere at the time. Um, but all of this, all the whining and dining, it all comes to an end in in the year sixty as Prasitagus stuffs it all up for everyone at this point he goes ahead and bloody dies which was you know not a great career move but probably probably one you didn't have too much of a, of a saying to be honest now the convention with roman client kingdom uh, kings kingdoms at this stage was for the the king to bequeath the kingdom to rome to the to the emperor essentially and 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 it was a sort of thing like once you died your kingdom would just sort of be wrapped up in into the roman empire you know properly rather than just being a client kingdom uh, you know the romans had sort of figure out how to deal with things after you died but Prasitagus, however, he tries to mix things up a bit by he, he because what he does is he leaves his kingdom to both the Roman Emperor Nero and his own daughters to try to presumably try to preserve his bloodline and, and, and make sure that they had a bit of a say in, in, in how things were managed in, in Iceni. Unfortunately for him, well actually no, hang on, he's dead, doesn't matter for him. Unfortunately for Boudicca and their daughters, however, uh, the Romans they don't like this one little bit. They annex Prasitagus's entire estate, all of his property, all of his cash and everything. Uh, and, and they also call in all of the debts that uh, that uh, a lot of these um, these these Celts, these Britons, had uh, amassed uh, from the Romans in, in in the last couple of years, which which gives them a cause to actually start taking issue with them, start you know suppressing them because oh well, you owe us money, you haven't paid it back, and and this is a, a huge cause for concern amongst all of the the tribes in this region. Now. After having annexed uh, all of Prasitagus's, uh, you know, all his property, his money, his land, whatever else, Boudicca obviously not a fan of this. Not a fan of this at all. She says, go, she goes to Rome and says, "Oh, look here, you idiots! That's not how it's supposed to go. Get your hands off that cash and that land. That's supposed to be for my daughters as well. What are you doing? You know, not happy with this at all." Now, 
unfortunately, it's actually it's actually about to get a bit dark here, and this is obviously no laughing matter because what they what they do in retaliation to Boudicca and and uh, and her daughters is it, it actually extremely unpleasant. Boudicca, who, as I say, had, had probably lived you know in in luxury as a queen up until then, she was taken and, and viciously beaten by Roman soldiers, and uh, and as for her daughters, well, look honestly, I don't I don't want to really get into it. Uh, too much to be honest, uh, because they are treated much, much worse than their mum. It is, it is truly horrific, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to spend too much time discussing it because it is, yeah, it's, it's not a very nice thing to, to talk or to think about. So, Boudicca and her family, they are really just tra- treated horrendously by the Romans at this stage. They are, you know, it is completely, completely un- unbelievable what the Romans do to them, um, and unfortunately. Unfortunately, they're not the only ones who suffer either because as soon as Prasitagus dies, the Romans also descend like vultures on all the other Icenian nobles and they take away all of their property and all of their wealth as well. Now, pretty bloody rubbish behaviour all around by these bastard Romans, to be honest, but fear not, dear listener, because I tell you what, they are about to bloody pay for it and how. I'll tell you I'll tell you what happens next. The Iceni, they're not going to sit around and let these Roman outrages go unanswered. So they, what they do, they get in touch with a neighbouring tribe, the, uh, the Trinovantes, right? who had also been t- treated terribly by the Romans. They're having their land and their homes confiscated. They're getting robbed and displaced, all sorts. of Romans are really not behaving particularly well in this, uh, at this stage. And the Iceni and the Trinovantes, they get together and they organise a revolt. They say, how about enough of this? We're absolutely sick to death of all this rubbish from the Romans. Let's get it done. Let's go and crack some skulls. They've added up to the back teeth all this mis- mistreatment. And so they're, they're, they're talking about getting an army together, pulling pulling some kind of big force, big big rebel army to, to, to stage a huge big uprising. And guess who is picked as the leader? Guess who is picked as the person who's going to head this entire effort up? Of course, it is our mate Boudicca, who I can tell you is very, very ready to take to the Romans and start feeding them the left and the right. She's obviously got a massive bone to pick with these Romans because obviously what they did to her and, and, and her daughters and, and, her, uh, and her and her late husband's estate and all that sort of stuff. So she's she's really got a chip on her shoulder about this whole thing. Now this uprising, it's very very well timed by the Iceni and the uh, and the, and the Trinovantes here because the Roman governor of Britain, a bloke whose name is Gaius Suetonius Polinus, right? He is over in modern day Wales fighting rebels led by this is not a joke led by the Druids of Anglesey. It honestly sounds like something out of a D&D campaign, but Suetonius legitimately was over there in the west of Britain campaigning against the Druids, burning them at the stake wherever possible. And I don't know how effective this was because obviously if they had access to third level spells, they could just cast protection from energy or if fourth level spells, freedom of movement and escape their bindings. I mean, actually, even forget that, even a level one Druid could just cast create water. Easy game. Just get yourself off, you know, out of the fire. No worries at all. Can't believe Suetonius was wasting his time with this, to be honest. Anyway... With the governor of his troops occupied and his troops occupied out west, it was a very, very good time indeed for Boudicca to pull together a huge number of rebels to take the fight to the Romans. We're not 100% sure on the numbers here. The best guess to start with is about 10,000, uh, and they don't muck around. They don't muck around at all. They are off to the races very quickly indeed, marching uh, marching down to start to crack some skulls, as I say. Their first target is the city of Camulodunum, which is uh, modern-day Colchester, which at the time was actually the capital of Roman Britain. There, the local British people, were, they were cranky as all hell with the Romans because they were using uh, Camulodunum as a sort of retirement village for Roman veterans, seizing the land of the locals and allowing veterans to sort of settle down there, right? Now, the Romans, they'd also used the locals to build this massive Roman temple in the city, which the people weren't happy about at all. They didn't like it. They, they weren't happy about the fact that they were actually being used, more or less, to build this, uh, you know, their labor was being used to build this, uh, this temple. Um, so the temple itself has a huge bloody target painted on it, actually, because as it, it kind of symbolised the Roman rule in Britain. And so when Boudicca and a rebel army rock up, chanting and shouting and, and ready to raise hell, it's clear that the temple wasn't long for the world, uh, you know, along with, as it turns out, the rest of the city. Um, uh, uh, matter of fact, the, the city was 
was hardly defended at all. The uh, the Roman leadership so severely misjudged the entire situation with Boudicca. Then they sent about 200 troops to garrison and, and, and defend it. And, uh, of course, well, Boudicca with her, you know, 10,000, maybe more uh, you know, strong army here, she ravaged it like there was no tomorrow. You wouldn't bloody believe the extent of the destruction. The Romans all fled to the temple where Boudicca besieged them for two days before just taking the easy way and just raising it to the ground. Nice and simple there. But that is just the start. Boudicca and her army tear the city apart piece by piece, destroying it systematically and leaving absolutely nothing behind. They slaughtered everyone that they could find there and annihilated an entire Roman legion that was sent to reinforce the city. The the, the Romans, they sent about two and a half thousand uh, troops in to try to, you know, contest Boudicca and what she's up to there. And she she nearly kills all of them. Only only the five hundred or so cavalry escaped. Two two thousand infantrymen are killed, and five hundred or so cavalry escaped the wrath of Boudicca's rebels there, presumably because they were you know bloody riding away at top speed there. Um, anyway, even today in Colchester, there, there's evidence of the battle preserved under this thick layer of ash that was deposited when the city was burnt to the ground. So the archaeological diggings that in, in Colchester have revealed underneath the ash that there's broken pottery, glass, and and even uh, uh, they they found a little cache of jewellery that archaeologists think were, were, was buried there uh, for safety by the people in in, in Camulodunum there before the rebels attacked. Anyway. After the overwhelming victory there in, in Camulodunum, Boudicca is well and truly ready for another scrap, and her army is too. They are they they're loving it. They're loving it. They're weighed down with you know the the booty and the pillage and the, all the all the, the riches that they've pillaged from the from the city there, and they're having a great time in there. And they're going to they're saying, mate, where are we going next? What you know what's next on the agenda? So as a result of all this, she decides that uh, the best course of action is to march down to this newly established trading town on the banks of a river down to the south. It hasn't been around for very long, this trading town, only established just after the Roman invasion in the year 43, but it's already flourishing with rich trade along the river and about 30,000 inhabitants. You might have actually heard of this settlement. Back then, it was called Londinium. And uh, of course, over the next 2,000 years, it became the the sprawling metropolis that is modern-day London. But Back then, as I say, only a newly established uh, city back in uh, established in forty three. So in, in in the year sixty or sixty one, when uh, when Boudicca's going around cracking skulls, very very new, very small when compared, of course, to London today. It was only about one and a half square kilometres and occupied just the northern bank of the Thames, uh, but was nonetheless quite well populated and, and quite rich, considering how new of a settlement it was. Well, not for long. Not for long, however, here, Boudicca got up and about, got a huge army uh, ready and began to march south towards Londinium. Now, Suetonius, the governor, you'll remember he's the one off fighting with, uh, fighting with the Druids. He gets wind of what Boudicca is up to here, marching down to Londinium. He'd, he'd obviously since left his Druid burning campaign and, and he was actually now trying to pull together a plan to defend the Roman presence in Britain. But he realised very quickly he couldn't defend Londinium with the small number of troops that he had. Uh, obviously, Boudicca's army has just grown and grown as, as the stories of her success have, have, have sort of spread here. And so what he does, what Suetonius does, is he orders an evacuation of Londinium. He decides to actually leave it to Boudicca and, and tells everyone to just get out if they value their lives. Now, a lot of people left, nearly everyone left, in fact, but uh, obviously, you know, they're going to get out quick, smart after they hear what happened in uh, in Camulodunum there. Um, they weren't too bloody keen to stick around, I can tell you that. But, 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 some stayed all the same. Some people stayed with were old or sick or infirm or they just liked London too much, which I don't understand how anyone could ever really feel like that because London is just rubbish. But all the same, some people did stay behind. Um, 
It's a huge mistake, huge mistake on their part, I'll tell you this, because uh, the city wasn't even close to being defended when Boudicca uh, finally arrived. She put the town to the fire and the sword, and it went the way of Camulodunum here with scenes of horrific butchery. People were slaughtered en masse, some of them were impaled on pikes and had their bodies mutilated, and the town was razed to the ground. The buildings were pillaged and looted, the cemeteries were desecrated, and the statues were, were hacked apart to bits. You can actually still see some of these statues today in museums in Colchester and whatever else, you can see some of the damage that Boudicca and her army wrought on this town of Londinium back then. Anyway, once Boudicca and her army had had enough of all of this looting and pillaging and, and, and whatever else, Londinium got burned to the ground in what would obviously become a bit of a recurring theme for the town and later city throughout the millennia. London has been burned to the ground a couple of times throughout its history. Um, but I have to say, after this whole affair, after Boudicca's uh, you know, invasion and, and destruction of the city, Londinium actually recovered pretty well. Uh, after Boudicca had left, it recovered pretty well, however. Um, and before the end of the first century, it was actually back on its feet, rebuilt with grid-like roads and all the trappings of a, of a modern Roman town. And it grew and expanded in population and wealth and uh, eventually became the largest and richest town in the British Isles there for a time. Got, obviously got burnt down a couple more times, which is for good measure there, and, and then finally went into, into decline with a Roman retreat from Britain in the 5th century. And uh, interesting, I didn't know this, it, it actually was pretty much abandoned by the end of the 5th century, by which stage the, uh, stage the, uh, the Anglo-Saxon Saxon invasion of Britain was, was well underway. So it's very funny to think about the fact that it would go from being a Roman trading post to a crumbling ruin to one of the biggest and busiest cities in the entire world. It'd be a, it'd be a lot harder to destroy London uh, so utterly these days. I reckon Boudicca was definitely playing on easy mode in that regard. But uh, all the same, that was that for, uh, for Londinium because... She's not mucking about. She's not mucking about Boudicca. She's she's already got two, you know, two of the biggest Roman settlements uh, in Britain reduced to smoking ashes, uh, and she's now looking around for her next target. She picks Verulamium, or, or modern-day St. Albans, uh, just north of where Londinium was. And Verulamium was another reasonably prosperous Roman town, and, and so Boudicca decided to go up there and, and mess it up as well. Now, the inhabitants, of course, they've heard what Boudicca has done to both Camulodunum and, uh, and in Londinium, and so they've scarped quick smart rather than let this uh, rampaging rebel, rebel queen cut through them like butter. Um, and so Boudicca arrives in, uh, in Verulamium to find it basically abandoned. There's, there's almost no one there, but that didn't matter because she burned it to the ground as well, just for good measure. And anyone who was foolish enough to stick around was mercilessly uh, and, and brutally murdered there. Now, Tacitus, who, as I mentioned before, was one of the contemporary historians who wrote about Boudicca, at this stage puts the death toll of, uh, of Roman citizens in Britain at 70,000 thanks to what Boudicca had been up to. By the, start, by the time she's burnt Verulamium to the ground and, 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 you know, looted and pillaged her way through it, Tacitus reckons that 70,000 Romans have been killed. Now, again, we've got to fight through this bias Tacitus put into his work, so it's almost certainly less than that. But I tell you this, anyway, I mean, anyway you look at it, even if it's less than 70,000, Boudicca had been taking some names. Seriously, she had not been mucking around. She'd rampaged her way across the southeast of Britain, leaving this trail of destruction and death in her wake. And I tell you what, this couldn't be ignored. In fact, at this stage, when the Roman Emperor Nero had heard of what was going on in Britain, he started to think about bailing on the entire island. Think about that. The invasion is, is not even 20 years old at this stage, and Nero is thinking, well, bloody hell, if this is what the locals are like, I don't know if we want to stick around. There's uprising, there's rebels, and there's druids and all the rest of it, not to mention the bloody appalling weather over in the British Isles. What, what I mean, what's even the point? And this is a, a very, very good question, Nero, mate. I ask myself this every day that I wake up in this stupid country and see the firmly overcast skies every bloody day of the year. However, 
even if Nero was ready to give up, even, even if he was ready to pull out of Britain altogether and say, no, no, look, pack him up, come back home, old mate Suetonius, the governor, he is not. While Boudicca was busy setting fire to Verulamium, Suetonius was mustering the biggest army he could possibly pull together, right? Now, his biggest problem was that he was hopelessly, hopelessly outnumbered. Cassius Dio, the other contemporary historian who wrote about Boudicca, tells us that at this stage, she had over 200,000 people following her. Now, now obviously, not all of these were, were warriors. Not all of these were fighters. They were Some of them were, were the, the family of, of you know, the people who were doing the fighting, family of the people in the army. Some of them were just camp followers. Some of them were just coming on for a good time, a bit of loot, right? But still, 200,000 people at her back. This number is absurd. Absurdly high. However, even if you cut it in half, even if you think the Cassius Dio was double it just for effect, right? Um, Suetonius is still outnumbered ten to one. He can only pull together about ten thousand troops, right? He's only got about ten thousand blokes at his disposal here. Nonetheless, after pulling together these legions of Roman troops, whatever else, he he then starts to search for a place we can reasonably take to the, take the fight to Boudicca to try to ameliorate or, or mitigate the 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 advantage of numbers that she'll have here. He finds a defile, right, which is essentially a fancy word for a, a, a sort of gorge or, or a smallish canyon um, with a forest to the rear and a massive big plain out front. And he assembled his troops here in the defile, which would bottleneck Boudicca and her army if they actually tried to fight them there. So again, we can see that, you know, the terrain hoping to play a, a key uh, a key sort of role in, in the tactical and the strategic unfolding of this battle that he's hoping to have with Boudicca here. So he assembles his, he assembles his, uh, his troops in the defile, as I say, and he knows that with the, with the forest out the back, Right, it made uh, it made sort of a, an attack from the rear more or less impossible because Boudicca wouldn't be able to go around to the back to through this forest and fight the Romans there, and it would be very difficult for Boudicca to try to ambush the Romans because the open plains in, out in front mean they've got a great vantage point; they can see exactly what's going on. So it'd be hard for her to do, you know perpetrate any sort of chicanery or, or, or silly buggers out front. This is very clever stuff from Suetonius, who managed to again use the terrain to mitigate the enormous numerical disadvantage that he had against Boudicca here. Now, one interesting thing, before we talk about the battle itself, I want to talk about the battlefield. One interesting thing about this, uh, the battlefield here that Suetonius picked, is we don't know where it is. We actually don't know 100% where it is. There are a few places that have been suggested by modern researchers, but for the most part, we just don't know for sure. Most historians reckon that it was in the Midlands somewhere uh, along this old Roman road that's known today as Watling Street, uh, somewhere like, for example, the the, the small town of Mansetter in, in Warwickshire. But uh, we don't know 100% where it is because uh, Tacitus only sort of describe the battlefield in very vague terms. So we haven't been able to use clues there to actually definitively identify where the battle took place. Anyway, the battle draws closer. Boudicca is completely unafraid of Suetonius and his piddling tiny little army of 10,000. She's still thirsty as anything for more Roman blood. And so what she does, she marches her army right up to where Suetonius has set up shop and the big wagon train that followed all you know, all the families and the, and the, and the camp followers and whatever else uh, that I was talking about before, they drop in a big semicircle on the plains behind them because they are expecting uh, to, to have a, you know, dinner and a show, essentially. They are expecting this massive army of Britons to completely overrun the Roman army there. And so they're going to sit there in their wagons and enjoy watching this bloodbath here and watching, uh, obviously, Boudicca continue to take the fight, fight this good fight uh, against the Romans. Now, Tacitus gave us a lot of insight into what happened before the battle here by recording the speeches that both Boudicca and Suetonius gave to their respective armies. And we'll start off with, uh, we'll start off with Boudicca's here, because it's very interesting to hear what, she, what apparently she said. Now, 
you know, we know that Tacitus absolutely loved to sort of dress stuff like this up. So, so take what she said in a grain of salt. But if Tacitus is, is to be believed, uh, Boudicca, she gets into her chariot. She's got her two daughters behind her, right? And she goes and she's riding around this big army that she's assembled and she gives the following speech. <clears throat> Now, it is not as a woman descended from noble ancestry, but as one of the people that I am avenging lost freedom, my scourged body, the outraged chastity of my daughters. Heaven is on the side of a righteous vengeance, a legion which dared to fight has perished. The rest are hiding themselves in their camp or are thinking anxiously of flight. They will not sustain even the din and the shout of so many thousands, much less our charge and our blows. If you weigh well the strength of the armies and the causes of the war, you will see that in this battle you must conquer or die. This is a woman's resolve. As for men, they may live and be slaves. Probably a fair bit of poetic license there from old mate Tacitus, but still it's interesting to note that at the beginning of that speech there, Boudicca went into the fight talking about how she was just an ordinary person fighting for a just cause, not as a you know, noble wall or destined here or anything else like that. She's just out for blood. She's just out for vengeance, mate. Very, very straightforward what she wants to do there. Clearly out for revenge, hold the Romans to account for what they did to her and her family. I'll tell you what, she must have been pretty bloody pissed off about it to be uh, you know spilling so much blood, but still that's what she's about at this stage. On the other hand, Suetonius' speech was uh, was a lot less exciting. You don't understand why most historians don't think Tacitus dressed it up too much uh, here as I read it to you. <clears throat> Ignore the racket made by these savages. There are more women than men in their ranks. They're not soldiers. They're not even properly equipped. We've beaten them before, and when they see our weapons and feel our spirit, they'll crack. Stick together. Throw the javelins, then push forward. Knock them down with your shields and finish them off with your swords. Forget about plunder. Just win and you'll have everything. Very sort of factual, uh, you know, un- <laughs> unpretentious speech, I guess you could say. There's not not too much fluff, not too much pomp and circumstance there. And uh, as a matter of fact, Tacitus's father-in-law was actually there himself and heard this speech with his own ears. And so that might be why it's so accurate and so boring without all the historical nonsense that Tacitus liked to put into these things, because he actually spoke to an eyewitness or an ear witness of this, of this speech. Anyway, anyway, Boudicca. She's had enough of all the yip-yap, and so finally she musters up her big army. She's there in her chariot, and she, she orders the attack. Charge, she says. Get in there. Go and crack some Roman skulls. And the hordes of the British warriors that she's leading, they charge down on the Romans. They are, you know, All the Romans are ranged in this defile. Now, the Britons, a big rabble. They're yelling, they're screaming, they're shouting, they're doing their best to intimidate the Romans, but they are untrained, they're poorly armed, and they're inexperienced. They had been playing, essentially, on the lowest difficulty the entire time by burning these undefended cities down to the ground. And now... They're up against the real deal. Even though there's so many of them, the disciplined, trained, and well-equipped Roman army actually starts to effortlessly cut them to pieces as they approach. They start by chucking javelins at the charging Britons, killing a ton of them before the hand-to-hand fighting even starts. And again, this bottleneck that Suetonius has created means that it's not a fair fight. The Romans are able to slaughter the Britons as easily, you know, as, as they become as easy as anything, but as the Britons become increasingly tightly packed as they approach the defile there. So after thinning out the British ranks, you know, with relative ease here, Suetonius gives the order for a counterattack, and from there, the bloodbath only gets worse. Because Boudicca and her Britons, they're in total disarray at this stage. Their attack, their charge has been successfully sort of, uh, you know, defended, uh, and now the cold, machine-like military precision of the Roman army swings into gear, and they start, as I say, to cut them to pieces here. Um, What's making it even worse for Boudicca here is that 
her army can't flee. They're actually trapped. Remember the wagons that have been drawn up in the big semicircle to watch the show? They're now blocking the British retreat. They're trapping the British between the wagons and the Romans. And as a result, it is a total massacre. Tacitus tells us that that 80,000 Britons were killed, while the Romans only lost 400 soldiers altogether. Again, this is probably a bit of an exaggeration, but any way you slice it, Boudicca's rampage against the Romans had come to a very quick and very bloody end at the hands of Suetonius and his 10,000 troops. At the end of the day, this disorganized guerrilla warfare-like rabble that, uh, that, that Boudicca had pulled together couldn't stand up in the face of professional, highly trained soldiers. And as a result, that was the end of the insurrection, the insurgency, this, this uprising that Boudicca had led. Now, as for Boudicca herself, Tacitus and Cassius Dio give us two different accounts as to what happened to her after this battle. Tacitus tells us that she poisoned herself and, and died, committed suicide, rather than fall into Roman hands, while Cassius Dio said that she fell ill after the battle and, and died of her, her sickness and then was, you know, had a, had a big, great big lavish funeral put on for her. We don't know who's right, and we actually may, we, we may never know what happened uh, in, in truth, but what we do know is that Boudicca went on to have an extremely important legacy throughout history, particularly in Britain. I mentioned before that Nero had been thinking about pulling out of Britain altogether, and it was actually only after that he'd heard that Boudicca had been defeated that he decided that it was all right to, uh, to, for the Romans to stay. So Boudicca came very close indeed to ending the Roman occupation of Britain 400 years ahead of time. Quite a bloody achievement, you'd have to say. And she went on then to influence other powerful British leaders, for example, Queen Elizabeth I. You know, parallels have been drawn between uh, Elizabeth's Tilbury Address, which we talked about during episode 35, uh, and, and Boudicca's speech before fighting Suetonius. Um, Elizabeth drew on the legend of Boudicca in securing her power as another very, you know, strong British uh, female leader while, while fighting the Spanish in defence of Protestantism. And in a similar vein, Victoria also channeled Boudicca's status as a, as a powerful British leader while uh, ruling the, uh, the British Empire, which smacks a tiny bit of irony there is seeing that Boudicca was very much against the whole business of empire. In fact, there's there's a famous statue of Boudicca that still stands today near Westminster Bridge, right in the heart of London, which is quite interesting and a little bit funny for, for a few reasons. Firstly, as you know, as you're sure you aware by now, Boudicca was obviously very anti-imperialist. She's an anti-imperialist icon fighting the Romans as she did. And at this time, you know, the time when the statue was erected around the turn of the 19th century, the British Empire was more or less at its peak. So it was a weird thing to be putting an anti-imperialist icon up on a pedestal like that when, you know, the British Empire is sort of, you know, firing on all cylinders there. But secondly, let's not forget, Boudicca burnt London to the ground. It's pretty funny that 2,000 years after she burnt Londinium to smoking ashes, there's a statue of her right in the middle of this city, you know, sort of overlooking it. I don't know. She's definitely getting the last laugh in there in that respect. Anyway, separate to all this, uh, all the stuff that, that happened in England after this, Boudicca has also become a hero to the Welsh, despite never having anything to do with the country as we know it today, because as a Celtic Briton, uh, you know, she pre- her, her life completely predated the Anglo-Saxon invasion of Britain. Um, she became she's become a Celtic icon, and the Welsh, unlike the English, they're Celtic, so they've they've, they've adopted her. They've sort of uh, appropriated her her Celtic uh, her status status as a Celtic hero um, uh, to sort of you know make her this uh, this legend among um, uh, in Wales as well. And as a result, there's another statue of Boudicca in Cardiff City Hall, where she stands along uh, alongside all of these other Welsh and, and Celtic heroes. In any case, Boudicca's legacy as a warlord and as a rebel really is one that captures the imagination. And in almost pushing the Romans out of Britain altogether, she certainly took her campaign of brutal vengeance to extraordinary and extremely bloody lengths. 
But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of Boudicca, the British rebel queen, who uh, obviously, you know, did some good work when it comes to fighting the Romans. And I, I have to say, on, on reflection, fighting the Romans has become a little bit of a theme in the in, in the recent uh, sort of oeuvre of half-assed history, so I might have to broaden the aperture a little bit. If you've got ideas for me to do that, please get in touch. History at gmail.com. Easiest way to do it, actually, go to halfhousehistory.net. You can find all the old uh, episodes there, but there's also a contact form. So send me through an email if, you're, if you've got an idea for an episode. I'm still working through some other suggestions that have been sent in by loyal listeners, so thank you so much to everyone who's doing that. And thanks to people getting in touch with me uh, each week to give me some feedback i really do very much appreciate it and a special thank you goes to all of my loyal patreon members who are who are chucking me money hand over fist i I don't know what i've done to deserve it but thank you all the same very much for for keeping me in uh you know so flush with cash like that so thanks so much for the support anyway um still got stickers to send out if you want one i'll I'll, well i'll send you a couple actually absolutely free i just need your address uh send that through to me via email and i'll send you out stickers no worries uh and uh as usual, that's about that. Going to close the show out with a, a, a question posed on Reddit. Uh, another one from Reddit historian I.B. Chuck, who has appeared in previous episodes as well. I.B. Chuck wants to know, we've talked a little bit about the you know the British Empire today, ruled by Victoria as it was, and, and the history of, of imperialism throughout Britain. And this, this, story, this question pertains to the, uh, the British Empire. I.B. Chuck wants to know, if the sun never set on the British Empire, how the heck did they ever get any sleep? <laughs> <laughs>